In a land far away, once upon a time, Brendan, Vicky B, partners in crime. We danced through life like, like a couple of gays. But as time went by, we went our separate ways. Now we're back together, talking about whatever. Talking about the music that, that we, we love forever. Hooking you up like a telephone jack. Everybody listen up, we're getting back on track. Ho, 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 this is Brendan. And this is Miss Vicky, and you're listening to Back on Track, where we give you 100% LGBT big ol' gay wholesale mixtape realness. Bottled and packaged for your listening enjoyment. Bottled and packaged for the holidays. For the holidays, I know. Christmas wrapped. This is our holiday spectacular. It's that time of year again. Yes. It's probably one of my favorite times of year. Yeah, is it? Do you like it? I I do. I have a lot of, there's a whole lot of emotions and memories sort of swirling around this time. I know. It's been a really big challenge for me, I have to say, putting this episode together and we'll talk about it. But the the holidays represent something different for everybody. They really do. And I think the complexity of that um, is really what's so interesting and powerful to me about the whole season. I think that, you know, what's really cool is it's this moment where everyone sort of unapologetically feels. Yeah. It's this moment where I feel, you know, I feel like I grew up, you know, Irish Catholic and very much, you know, your feelings were a little bit contained for yourself and bottled up. And there was this moment in the holidays where everyone sort of breathes and says, it's okay to, you know, miss your, you know, loved one or to be really happy or to, you know, express yourself. It's this big, you know, communal excuse. And so, you know, some people have a more cynical reaction to them. But for me, it's it's, it's really authentic. I, I love the season. Totally. I have a very spiritual connection. I have a very nostalgic connection. Um, it was difficult picking up these tracks. I gotta say, Mr. Brendan, I, I, I burst into tears a couple <laughs> oh times. Oh my gosh. Because of childhood memories and things, yeah. and the way that my life has changed. And, you know, it's it's different. It's it's re- it's been really different. It's been a super challenge. I thank you for for putting me to the test for for having us do this. Well, you know what? You know, we've we've been talking about celebrating nostalgia throughout this whole process, and really, nothing has more cultural nostalgia than the holidays. It really, to your point, um, brings together a lot of the trials and a lot of the difficulties that you know people. People may have had growing up, but then also a lot of the joy. I mean, really um, tapping into that joy is is for me what's always so rewarding. I mean, I I, I know we're going to talk so much about a whole host of memories and things, but you know, one question I had for you is, what's the you know, what's the one um, thing you can remember giving this season that was that really just that that came right back to you? You were able to give something and immediately felt the sort of connection and and, and uh, reward of that. Sure. Um, um, I, I I guess maybe doing doing the Nutcracker at, at you know at a local you know Pennsylvania ballet dance studio with a friend of mine you know um, I just went in and sort of did it I was a kid who could dance who could do backflips and things like that so I wound up doing the Russian dance mm-hmm. um, it was my first time ever legitimately performing in like an actual real ballet and I wound up getting really close to the owner of the studio and the kids they were all so excited to have me and thought I was some sort of adult superstar and everybody seemed so happy to have me and it was like wow all this for nothing like I went and gave my you know my what I little I felt I knew about dance and I got all of this love and, and energy back from the kids and it was so so great what about you what about you Um, my favorite um, giving wise has to be uh, probably five or six years ago um, I had a holiday party Um, my brother and I were actually working on a a project at that point imagine that Um, (laughs) but we were going back and forth doing different things but I had a holiday party that I called a get and give and it was a get together to give back and I think a lot of people do this but um, it was nice because there are so many little holiday house parties that and then 
10 big parties that you go to in this season. Um, and lots of them do things for great causes. But uh, I had a, a lot of people come over to my apartment and everybody – Bought, um, brought gift cards um, that then went to the Alifornia Center in New York, which is for LGBT homeless youth. And um, it was really great because everyone got to come. They didn't need to bring anything else. I had all the alcohol and food and whatever. And um, and then we collected, I think, almost $1,000 in gift cards that then got to go to, in the you know, stockings and presents for these children who've been, you know, kicked out of their homes. And and that was just incredibly meaningful to be able to go there and deliver that and um, and have my community you know, come together to, to do something. That and sounds super cool. Brian. It was really cool. Every year, my sister actually makes a donation in my in my name to Ali Forney. I, I I ask her not to buy me Christmas presents. Yeah, I've been really I've been really sort of out of it with with all the you know the the the, the um, physical gift giving. Yeah, and that that was something like okay, well, if you want to get me something, if you want to do something, like let's engage in in that spirit of the holidays and let's do that. I'll you know? say, I mean, <laughs> I. There is something for me as I've gotten older for me as I completely agree. It's much less about the actual things. I will say though that that nostalgic sentimentality, there is something for me about um, Christmas morning that is a really cherished time for me because I grew up with a lot of things going on, some instability, and that was always a moment where everything came together and felt peaceful. So it, it really is hugely important to me. And I've gotten to a point where there is something powerful about just the the, the magic of seeing a whole bunch of, you know, presents under a tree. The funny part for me is they can all be empty boxes. I just like all of us getting together and sort of seeing this this moment happen and then just getting to sit together, have coffee, unwrap things. But literally, if it was just tissue paper, I'd be equally happy. It's really about spending the morning together and having that that peaceful time. Agreed. That's a hugely shared experience. Yeah. So I think what we want to do with this episode is we want to put together songs that sort of bring us into that, yeah. into that sort of sentimentality, that moment. And contrary to what you might believe, every single song is not going to be All I Want for Christmas <laughs> by Mariah Well, Carey. you might think that's what we would go to, but we're going to save that for a special moment. For a later episode. Miss um, Vicky and I have a field trip coming up. We're very excited about. Um, we're going to be seeing the second annual <laughs> uh, All I Want for Christmas is You holiday concert at the Beacon Theater with, with Miss Mariah, Mariah Carey. Carey. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's going to be a hot mess as per <laughs> usual. But you know what else? This holiday for her is um, – her her love for it is very authentic. Mm-hmm. It's not a put on, mm-hmm. and to be able to see someone um, just enjoy that moment is is a riot. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I want you to enjoy your moment. All yeah. Right? Well, I, I'm I'll be the Scrooge to your to your um, Bob Cratchit. Oh, <laughs> I'll be anybody's Cratchit. I'll be your Grinch to your Cindy Lou Who. <laughs> So go ahead. Give me your give me your Christmas moment. All right, I'm gonna dial it back, and we're gonna start with an oldie. This goes all the way back to 1944. You know, what's really interesting is so many of what we you know consider holiday classics today really come from that mid 20th century moment. Um, there was just a lot of prolific songwriting going on. You had movies coming into play, and so a lot of these songs just were able to carry forth uh, across you know the country and the world very quickly in a way that they hadn't been able to do previously. So the first song on the list is Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas by Judy Garland. Hang a shining star upon the highest bar And have yourselves a merry little Christmas 
Oh my God, Judy Garland, the quintessential Christmas classic this Grammy. Yes, from Meet Me in St. Louis, 1944. Um, Frank Sinatra also covered it, but Judy's version is the one that, you know, really resonates with me. Um, so, you know, the song was, you know, written for the film. And actually, to talk about what we were introducing today's episode with, it was, you know, I don't know. Have you seen Meet Me in St. Louis? I haven't seen okay. it. Okay. So the the track in its inception was actually very sad. It's about, you know, uh, the a dad and the family is leaving for a job to go to New York and leaving the family. And the original way this song was written was really depressing. And actually, when Judy and her team uh, were presented with the song, they were all said, absolutely not. <laughs> it was just, you know, it was like just completely depressing. So the song still has that you can hear in the melody, the melancholy feel going on. Um, but there's a little bit more hope in the lyric that, you know, future thinking that right now we're in a little bit of a tough spot, but next year things will be okay. And linking into that current melancholy to the future hope is, I think, what a lot of Christmas songs end up being about. Totally. I'm addicted to the twinge of sad, you know. Yeah. In, well, in and that permeates song. across so many of the songs we're going to talk about. Sure. I mean, Judy Garland, holy crap. I feel like she's like, for our generation, she's like every gay man's grandma who passed away before we were born. But we've always heard about how like elegant and eccentric she was. And she's like this sort of like legend for us. Absolutely. We have this sort of like idea of what she represented. You know what I mean? The Stonewall riots started on the day that she died. Isn't that right? That is right. Um, she, you know, a lot of people imagine um, that, you know, that, that that gay men specifically are connected to her because of the tragedy of her life. But that's really not the case, I don't think. Um, you know, the connection to Judy is about perseverance and honesty. You know, she was, she was a voice that could really pierce through and connect. And I think that, you know, people relate to her because they want to champion really great talent. And when you see someone who's struggling, but you can recognize in them the strength of their spirit, you want to root for them and have them succeed. And that's what I see in Judy. Yeah. Well, that's one of the reasons why you and like you and I like Mariah. Exactly. You it's know? the exact same thing, actually, yeah. which is why this is the perfect way to start this episode. <laughs> um, <laughs> and um, one of the other, you know, great things about Judy uh, is she had, you know, the Judy Garland show for one season. I don't know how familiar you are with that show. Slightly. Um, I remember watching a DVD, a roommate of mine in college had it. And yeah. Had it, yeah. So the show was only one season. It was in the 60s. It was in a moment where she was really not um, in a great place in the public eye. She had sort of drifted a little. She, they, um, they, people had asked her to be on TV for years and she'd always resisted. But she, you know, in this moment decided that's what she needed to do. And, of, of course, unfortunately, it was, you know, exactly what you would expect from a Judy, you know, uh, situation. It was a lot of drama, different producers in and out within just the span of one season. But there were these gems of episodes. And one of the classics is the Christmas special that they put out and it was on a recreated um, it was a set that was a recreation of their you know LA home um, and in that episode you have you know uh, Liza Minnelli Lorna Luft and Joey Luft and then Mel Torme is there she sings this song and um, it's one of my favorites that I watch every year at Christmas it just it's really it, it's touching that's cool yeah we do experience a lot of our sort of Christmas uh, you know experience through the television and also through like what you were saying about Meet Me in St. Louis through the movies we're introduced to a lot of these songs through the movies and I've noticed as I was going through our selections a lot of our selections are do happen to be also from movies. Yes. Um, can I start mine? Mm-hmm. Uh, so my the first track that I have is also from a movie. It's from Toys in 1992, and the name of the song is The Closing of the Year. Count the blessings that are real. Let the 
particular rendition that the, that's on the mix that we have right now is by Rebecca Faith, but I wanted to note that the song is written by Trevor Horn and Hans Zimmer and performed by the musical Cast of Toys featuring Wendy and Lisa, who were Prince's backup duo. Right. Well, not really backup duo. They were part of the revolution. They were yeah. a huge part of Prince's, you know, mythology, these girls. They've gone on to do a lot of scores that, you know, they did Seal's huge album, the Kiss from a Rose album. They, you know, they, they just for example, they they do the, the, the opening credits it's to nurse Jackie. I mean, like, these girls are legitimate, like, A-list musicians banging out awesome stuff. And this, so this song takes place right at the beginning of the movie Toys, mm-hmm. which if you don't remember it, and you might not, it was a blip on the radar, wasn't a really big commercial or critical success. a beautiful success, film. Success, but a beautiful film. And Robin Williams, who was a star, always seems to involve himself in these amazing, beautiful films. Yes. I mean, oh my God, from, you know, like, The Fisher King to uh, Goodwill Hunting to What Dreams may come, which I bawled mm-hmm. my eyes out through, to this sort of like toys, this large-scale production movie that takes place, it begins and ends around the, the Christmas season, where toys are abound everywhere. And what do, how do we think of toys? We think of excess. We think of, we think of you know, having... Materialism, you know, consumerism. Materialism, absolutely, mm-hmm. consumerism. But the toys that were being... that 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 Robin Williams character in the movie, the, the Zevo Toy Company, were all like simple, fun, comedic toys. You know, uh, Joan Cusack is in the movie as this sort of crazy robot character um, saying, you know, uh, the woman who paints the lips on the alligators, well, she's gone. I mean, it was like <laughs> stuff like that. It, uh, you know, fart jokes and, you know, and, and puke and, and things like that. Yeah, really, <laughs> Happy really holidays. Cute. And so the film <laughs> opens up with these ballet dancers dancing through a city as the snow is falling and Wendy and Lisa are singing in the tree. The this beautiful song about, you know, if I cannot bring you comfort, at least uh, uh, I'll give you home. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Nothing is more important than the time that we have here. And so we have to forgive people. And so this right here for me is like sort of quintessential sort of the redemptive quality about the ending of the season. We're bringing this chapter to a close and we're opening on the what's new, what's coming. It's time to be with your family. It's time to connect to people. It's time to forgive people. And yeah. it's time to concentrate on the simple things mm-hmm. in life. Do you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Did you, did you, do you remember the song? I do remember the song. I mean, it's never – It's inter- I'm so happy you picked it because it hasn't been one that has typically been in my holiday repertoire. Um, but I – but it's a really beautiful song for all the reasons you just said. And um, I'm – you know, I think it's really good to give it that kind of context because, you know, I think Rebecca Faith – I don't even know who that is. Mm-hmm. But I think she's a Christian singer. Okay. I think we put her on the list because, you know, that's the available version that we it's can access. It's true musically version. Yeah, yeah that's out exactly. There right but um, everyone should watch Toys. Holla. Yeah. So what else do you, what do you have for me? Well, you know, in an interesting different, you know, that's the closing of the year is about that sort of closing that chapter and forgiveness. You know, I want to switch gears a little bit um, to some new wave, um, but talk about Christmas wrapping. Yes, yes. All the versions, the amazing versions of this song. Yes, there's 
tons. And you know, just if anyone doesn't know, the original is by the waitresses, and um, the song is really about um, you know a, a, a woman who's a bit who's rejecting Christmas, saying I don't want to be involved, um, and is is going to go do her own thing in New York, and then ends up you know running into a guy and 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 basically having this magical sort of Christmas moment, and um, and basically you know she admits like she couldn't she couldn't miss this one. Mm-hmm. She tried to miss it and she couldn't because she got you know still wrapped up in the Christmas spirit. So it, it's kind of a punk way of acknowledging the holiday. Um, but there's a, there's a few different versions. I know you have one version in mind. I want to just talk about the one that's on my list, which um, funny enough, everyone is from Glee, the TV series. And um, <laughs> I know that Glee sparks all sorts of reactions from people, but they did um, some really awesome holiday specials and um, the one that this appeared on was the third season holiday special was the mid-season finale and they did this really cool thing and this is when Glee I think was at its best as a TV series doing some you know experimental work that was sort of slightly accessible and mainstream but was also a little strange so on the episode they they within the context of the series they recreated this mishmash of the Judy Garland Christmas special we were just talking about with this famous Star Wars Christmas special that was so weird um, that happened in the 80s. And so they tried to sort of fuse those together in this weird black and white moment. And it was, again, totally strange. Um, But one of the fun things is, again, it's in black and white. In the middle of the episode, you know, all these people are coming to, again, a similar house to what I described from the Judy Garland special. All these people are coming over. And in this, it was the two gay male characters, uh, Kurt and Blaine. It was their house. And they were hosting their friends for the holidays. Um, But the cheerleader character from Glee, uh, Brittany. Brittany. Yeah, Brittany S. Pierce, Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) played by Heather Morris, who's amazing. Um, she like barrels through the door with all these elves and they do this, you know, sped up actually from the waitress's version, new wave, really fun, fun, infectious, energetic version of Christmas wrapping with amazing choreography and um, it's it's a blast. It is so much fun and I was, um, I don't know, it just became an instant classic for me. Totally. Listen, I love this song, although I don't happen to share the – something about Glee had always sort of like rubbed me a little bit the wrong way with, with how sort of – something about musical theater in general. I think I'm a little bit more of like a sort of – I like gloom or I like, I like sort of like difficult juxtapositions like, like, you know, love and pain. Yeah. You know what I mean? And sometimes musical theater always – it always goes to this – well, it doesn't always, but has a tendency to go to this place where it's like big and extravagant and, and – and, and you know, well, like it's a, a production number. Bold production number. And this was right. a production number. Right, right. Well, I have to tell you, <laughs> Blaine, Darren, Chris, he's yeah. my he's my husband, and I forgive him. Like I love him. Okay, <laughs> you forgive him for being ugly. <laughs> Meanwhile, the only reason you know his name is because he was ugly. It's true. It's true. But let me, he's gorgeous. So my boyfriend and I saw him as Hedwig um, in Hedwig and yeah. the Ranch on Broadway, which, albeit he wasn't the greatest Hedwig, but there I don't some care. controversial moments right. from him on it, Hedwig. It might be. It's probably true. He I, said I, some I, things in the show because there's a lot of improv and ad libbing that um, uh-huh. rub people the wrong way. I I probably can imagine that to be true. Yeah. I, I still love him. He's my husband. Anyway, the version that I want to celebrate is the Spice Girls version. Boom! Holla! <laughs> the, the, uh, so there was a B-side for... Gonna make you holla. <laughs> which I love that song. I know, I know. Um, it was the B-side for Goodbye, which was their Christmas single, and it was the first single released after Jerry had left the group. So they had come out with this really, it's sort of a more mature look to themselves, yeah. a little bit more of a mature video about these, you know, these couples encased in ice, sort of breaking out of the, the, this ice and it was it was number one on Christmas um, 
And also, um, I wanted to know the the word Christmas wrapping. It's it's a it's also a play in the word yes. like wrapping. Yes. Because around the time that the waitresses wrote this song, yes. rap was starting to break into the mainstream. And if and you listen, the song is it's a it's a spoken speak saying kind of it's yeah, an it's ab- a rap. absolute rap. But yeah, I just the, this is how I was introduced. I had the goodbye single. I bought that when it came out. Um, and the Spice Girls were the first actually to have three. Uh, singles number one on Christmas since the Beatles. So that's an interesting... That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that crazy? There's such a strange phenomenon. I know. Absolutely. Well, and of note about the Spice Girls version, the vocals were only from Mel C and Emma. And um, I don't know. I just... I, I liked... I liked them without Jerry, I have to say. Really? I miss Jerry. Jerry actually was my favorite one. But I liked... I liked the sort of a little bit more adult and R&B vibe that they tried to go when without she her, yeah. where, which th- did not work somehow for them. I just like the idea of them freaking growing up already and, like, stopping putting on the costumes and actually, okay, now we've established ourselves. Let's, like, do some actual music together. I think it's hard it, to, like, have your like name be Spice Girls and, and grow up. Right. And there's something so. juvenile about it. You're 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 probably absolutely um, right. You know what else? For all you Kylie fans, Kylie has a new holiday record out this year, and I believe she has Christmas wrapping on her record as well. It's not nearly as compelling as the, either of the versions we just mentioned, even though I love Kylie. But check it out. Can I talk about another movie soundtrack moment? Yes. Okay. So the next song that I want to mention is "Ice Dance" from Edward Scissorhands. This song, Ice Dance, uh, by Danny Elfman from the movie Edward Scissorhands, the 1990 film Tim Burton directed, starring Johnny Depp, Winona Ryder, and then also of mentioned Diane, uh, was it Weist or Weist? I think Diane Weist. Weist, Alan Arkin, and Vincent Price. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, there's a 2005 ballet based on the movie by Matthew Bourne. It, it started in London. It toured yep. all over the place. Um, I just th- So this... This story ended at Christmas. It climaxed at Christmas. And the song that I've included, this is when Edward is carving the angel out of the snow and Kim comes outside to dance. And it's presumably a Florida town. This was shot outside of Tampa. So it's probably not something that they see quite often. Right. Uh, it's a Florida suburban Americana town. And she's dancing in snow for the first time. And it's this gentle twinkling music of like this girl's first experience with snow. And also like... It's about – so this movie, to me, it's another sort of like a deep Christmas moment where it's, it's a troubled character, mm-hmm. like an incomplete, an incomplete dark figure who's capable of just indescribable beauty. He uses, he uses the sort of like dangerous knives that he's been, he's been given, the tools that he's been given to create, to create figures, works of such delicate beauty. The hedge, you know, the hedge um, designs that he does, the hair designs, the, you know, the dog and things like that. He's cutting their hair. So you can tell that he's capable of such sensitivity and such beauty, but he has a, a difficult exterior to deal with. And there's one girl, Kim, who's who's afraid of him at first, but then mm-hmm. comes to love him. And even in his act of creating this beautiful snow angel for her around the holidays or about to have the Christmas party, and the whole, it turns out the whole um, town isn't going to come because of recent incidents where he's gotten into a little bit of trouble. Right. 
he accidentally swipes her hand and cuts her right at the very beginning, at the very end of the song. Yeah. So she's bleeding. So it's the idea of like you even hurt the ones that you love. That's yeah. like like a really it's a really delicate, beautiful line. And that Tim Burton wrote this. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. he wrote this and directed. He wrote it. So the he's story. telling his story like There's metaphorically. There's a tragedy in that. A little bit, a little bit. Yeah. yeah, it's sort of like this is what I do. This is who I am, and like this is what I do. Yeah. And and it, it, the delicate twinkles around the Christmas season. I don't know. This is what it was for me. Well, and Danny Elfman does an amazing job on so many of these films, but certainly in the moment you're talking about, it it, it absolutely um, strikes these notes that are incredibly poignant. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. The child choruses, um, the you know, like I said, the twinkles, the strings. There's so many delicate moments. Isn't it interesting? All those elements you just mentioned. How much we associate those with the holidays. I oh, mean, sure. so many of them aren't necessarily historically connected to the holidays and aren't innately, except that we've now just tied that kind of choral sound or the kind of strings you're referencing. It, it just becomes this seasonal. Uh, uh, emotional connection. They become the audible manifestation of like emoting, like emo- yeah. like what you were talking about, where it's the okay, so it gets associated with the time of year where it is okay to be nostalgic, it is okay to be sentimental, and so it gets tied to Christmas. And it's it's interesting, like several of his movies, like Batman Returns, took place during Christmas. Like it's sort of like a it's the time of year where things bubble to the surface. Well, it's it's you, you know what it is too. It's like the way there's just always a balance in the universe when you have a moment where people. People are feeling incredible joy. The, the counter of that is some real deep melancholy and sadness. And, and I think that that's how the universe works a little. It's, you know, when you go to those extremes, they both exist. I wonder, do you have any other sort of melancholy yeah. Christmas songs on Yeah, I list? wanted to talk about um, Merry Christmas, Darling by the Carpenters. Lords on the fire, fill me with desire to see. And to say that I wish you Merry Christmas, Happy New Year to Christmas Darling is one of my all-time favorite Christmas songs. Um, there's something so raw and pure about Karen Carpenter's voice. And, you know, I don't you know, know if everyone is familiar with Karen Carpenter's story. But, you know, in a nutshell, um, in a Christmas nutshell, she <laughs> – <laughs> it's not funny. <laughs> um, <laughs> she, um, she had a lot of, a lot of struggles. Um, and she was another one of those um, people that we often talk about who had, you know, a, a real, true, rich talent. Um, but it was really played with a lot of internal demons and a lot of, a lot of struggles. And, you know, she, she suffered from anorexia and depression. And, you know, she ultimately, you know, passed away at a very young age, which is just horrible. It's a horrible loss. But, um, you know, this song, you can hear the, 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 the anguish in her vocal. And, you know, I, I think there's a lot, there's a, not lots, there's a few different versions that she sings that are sort of floating out there in the world. But there is a, you know, but, but in all of them, you can hear the, the, the purity in her voice around the longing for that connection. And, um, 
And gosh, I don't know. That kind of sadness just hits me right right in my core. Yeah. I don't think you can talk about Karen Carpenter. I don't think anybody talks about Karen Carpenter without mentioning, A, the sort of like the wholesomeness and like you said, the the purity of her voice. You mm-hmm. can't – it's like it's inescapable. It's, it, it's exactly – that's exactly what she's about. And at the same time, on the other side of it, the tragedy, which gives a new depth. It like is a whole nother coloring to the songs that she that she participated in that happened before it happened. But now you go back and listen to them and you consider all of that. Um, and it, it gives it a whole nother layer. There's a whole nother like read between the lines thing going on. Absolutely. This song is specifically, you know, you're you're hearing um, her describe the setting and everything's sort of in the right place. You know, the fireplace is going and, you know, there's snow and this, that. And um, but but the, but the person isn't there. The, the person you love just isn't there. And there's this, um, you know, tying it back to what we were talking about before this. There's, there's this hope that, you know. Maybe next year it'll be different, um, but it's not right now. And 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 that kind of longing connection, you know, I think there's a, I think the video I've seen for it, um, it, might, it might just be a capturing a, a, a televised performance. I don't really remember now, but I remember she's sort of gazing out the window in a snowy, you know, wooded area, and and sort of inside, waiting for that person, and that that waiting and that longing. Oh my God, it just it, it's enough to make me just you know, crawl under my covers. And <laughs> <laughs> That's another whiteboard moment for like must-have Christmas songs. Like, oh, you're waiting for somebody to come back because you missed yeah. them. Yeah. That goes up there. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, she – I grew up – my mom played Karen Carpenter records, the Carpenters records, all, you know, all through my childhood and my mom sang along. So a lot of, a lot of the songs that I have here um, – are sort of remembering the tradition of me singing with my mom, singing oh, with yeah. my family. And the sort of and just like the Carpenters, Karen and Richard Carpenter, when they because they're of the same lineage, they're of the same heritage, when they sing together, the 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 bouncing of their vocal cords off each other, it, it it's so beautiful and the oohs and the ahs that are all there in uh, in their signature sound and every song that they've done. You know what's so key to that too um, is is the breath. Like there's something about um, – I don't know. For me, the Carpenters especially, the way they phrase and the way that you hear the breath in, 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 their, in their singing is just – it's really um, – it's, hypnotic is the wrong word, but it's, it's soul-stirring. Yeah. It does. It, it stirs you. I, I, can I talk about another song? Yeah. That, uh, while we're in the, in the, you know, the genre of sort of singing with your mom, mm-hmm. I want to talk about the Judds, Silver Bells. Silver Bells. Silver bells, it's Christmas time in the city. Ring a ling, hear them ring. The Judds. The Judds, yes, ma'am. So, the, you know, the legendary mother daughter duo singing this classic Christmas song. It's from the album Christmas Time with the Judds. Um, it was released in 1987. It was their, you know, their Christmas single. It went number 68 on country um, from their first Christmas album. But it originally, like you said, it was in this sort of mid-century period, 1951. Uh, Bing Crosby and Carol Richards were the first people to sing it. And then Bob Hope and Marilyn Maxwell brought it to the, to the film, as you mentioned, um, you know, how most Christmas songs became popular. Uh, the Lemon Drop Kid is the name of the film. Mm-hmm. I didn't know any of this. 1987, I was four years old. My mom... We we had a 
a Christmas tape from the gas station. You know what I mean? And this became like our soundtrack, one of sure. our soundtracks to Christmas. Um, and Silver Bells, this beautiful, legendary country mother-daughter duo. Unfortunately, Naomi Judd came down with hepatitis. And so in 1991, they ended their association, split up, and Winona went on to greater success. I mean, Winona is fantastic, but together, just like me and my mother or like me and my sister, nothing compares to singing with your family. And some people play sports or like some people wrestle with their dads or some people, you know, people have all of these different types of things that they do that feels like family. And for me, somehow it's inescapable that um, singing with your mom. Yeah. Um, my mom sang to me to make me feel better when I was when I was hurt or when I was trying to go to sleep. She would hum to me, and it's one of the things that I still do for myself to this day to soothe myself and make me feel better. So something about this song having been on that silly gas station tape and the idea of singing with your family is what brings this song to the list for me. Yeah, I, you know what? I think that kind of connection is um, is undeniable. And I think what's interesting about um, Silver Bells as well is um, I think some people might, you know, find it to be a, little, a bit of a, a throwaway holiday tune. But when you really listen, the kind of family connection you're talking about, you know, it's – it's this idea of what Christmas really means, and it means all the things that you just said. So I always imagine it to be, you know, sort of you're going through the hustle and bustle of your day. You're going through the city. You're seeing all of the little, you know, um, the little touches that indicate the indicators that, you know, it's it's the season. And, and it's, again, connecting to that, you know, desire and longing and, and hope for uh, – a, a strong bond and, and moment with your loved ones, be it your mother, be it, you know, a, a spouse, whomever, a partner, whatever. Um, Too true. Yeah. Do you have any more songs like that? Well, <laughs> I think I want <laughs> to Don't you love my segues? These are great segues. <laughs> um, you know, I want to pick up on this idea of longing but flip it a little bit to the fun. Because okay. holidays are also fun. So what do you want? <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about the Weather Girls. Dear Santa, bring me a man this Christmas. Brendan, you played this song for me like a couple weeks ago. I had never heard it before. And I said to myself, this is just crazy. That was the first song that I thought. And the second thought was, oh, they had another song? I know. So you got a lot of explaining. No, what's hilarious is that they had like this tiny little album called, what was it called? Success, I think? Yeah, Success. And um, in 1983. And um, randomly, this is the same album that had its Raining Man and the only songs you know they sing. Um, And for some reason, a Christmas song was on there. Who knows why? It doesn't make any damn sense. And it's totally bananas. Um, I, I think almost more than the song, um, you've got to watch the video, which did you watch the video? I watched the video. Oh, Tell us girl, about it. Tell us about girl. It. They're in an apartment. Talk about low budget. I can't even. <laughs> I can't even. Um, you've got Martha Wash and Azora. Is that her name? Azora? These are the two chicks. Are they from Two Tons of Fun? Yeah, yeah. yeah okay, yeah. go. Um, 
They're hanging out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, they are in this apartment. They're in those craziest, you know, curtains wrapped around them. I mean, these are like weird schmada dresses. Like, it's fabric. They just literally (laughs) took fabric from, you know, the, what's it called? Joanne Fabrics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, The curtains. uh Uh-huh. And and it's just sort of draped on because, you know, they're larger ladies. And then they each have a different color polka dot, you know, little silky scarf thing going on. So it's, the costuming is so weird. And then randomly behind them are these, like, thin sexy backup girls in this apartment <laughs> and um, it doesn't make any sense so it's it's a great time get drunk watch uh, watch Dear Santa Bring Me a Man but but the beats are fun again when you're thinking about just you know dancing at the holidays and being silly and you know having a hot toddy and <laughs> <laughs> a hot toddy a hot toddy um, you know I love the irreverence of something like uh, you know the weather girls totally well when Martha comes in like for the second verse it's you know she just slams her voice is steel. Yeah. I, there, I don't think that there has been in our generation another – I mean she I, she trumps Aretha for me. Whoa. I mean, I'm so, I, hey, no, now. Listen, hey, now. Listen. Hey, now. I grew up to Gonna Make You Sweat and Black Box and, you know, every project that she was involved in. Yeah. I, I respect mean, Aretha, but I totally – obviously everyone who's listening to this podcast knows we have a thing for Martha Watt. <laughs> right. Well, and there's that CNC connection which we're always talking about. But I mean like – and especially this um, – the the up the ante at the very end when they change the key it's absolutely devastating girl nothing is better than a key change a modulation is like the it makes me so happy brendan loves him a modulation <laughs> i do and i i've noticed also brendan uh, uh, i would say like 80% of the tracks that you bring to this show are usually they're they're unapologetically optimistic they tend to be anyway they're 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 positive you know what I mean? And I, I, I love that. And I have to say that the Weather Girls, like, first of all, their songs are like the 80s aerobic jazz class <laughs> right. f- soundtrack from heaven. Right. You know what I mean? Like, it's just the epitome of just sort of like Christmas, like adrenaline and positivity. Yeah. So A plus for that. Let's um, – staying with the irreverence for a second. Can I do one more? Yeah, go, go. Okay. So I also want to talk about – this was so great. So in 19 – what was it? 97, um, the one and only uh, RuPaul, uh, when this is in the moment of having the VH1 show, had an album called Ho, Ho, Ho. And um, there's a great track I love on there called With Bells On featuring the one and only Michelle. Maybe go Oh my god, the Ho 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 album, Brendan, you don't stop talking about that album to me. It's like, <laughs> it's like your favorite Christmas album, right? It probably is my favorite. You know why? Because it came out in 97. Again, that was that moment for me where, you know, I sort of discovered RuPaul in my universe at a young age. Um, and so it was, it's that cool moment where like you fi- you kind of find someone and then their career is building where things keep happening. So it was like, I got the letting it all hang out and then I was seeing Supermodel and I was watching the show was on VH1. VH1. And then it's like, oh my gosh, it's Christmas and I'm a young boy. And now there's an album. It's like <laughs> my mind explodes. Yeah. And then Michelle Visage, who I didn't really know, except I loved watching her on the VH1 show. She was the you know the sidekick on the VH1 show, and obviously they were friends from the radio days. But as you know, not knowing all that history at the time, she was just a riot. So what was really fun on this track is it's a lot of banter between them, and they have a really 
incredible way of um, chatting back and forth with each other where you feel like you're in the room with them. It's so real and hilarious. And their kind of banter um, reflects the uh, optimism and, um, and and positivity that I think RuPaul is all about all the time. And um, anyway, so the song with Bells On was originally uh, Dolly Parton, uh, Kenny Rogers, Christmas classic. And um, so I have a thing, even though I grew up in the D.C. area, I was born in Atlanta, so I have a, I have a Southern connection with some of my um, nostalgic holiday moments. Um, so with Bells On, it was just, they took, a, they took a song that was sort of, you know, cheesy, fun, Christmas, and then they just made it, even more hilarious um, with a little <laughs> with 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 great little you know uh, uh, jibes back and forth and yeah. yeah well okay so there's so many things that I want to say first of all like I agree Rue and Michelle are like the ultimate dynamic duo and I can imagine them being your Bert and Ernie basically like growing up yes um, and I <laughs> totally like my question that I have like at the bottom of my notes on this is like Brendan what is with all the country references if for your Christmas stuff and now I sort of get it like now I understand know. it I totally understand it I love what you're saying about you know about RuPaul always being positive i feel like he is be, he's an he's an icon whether he accepts it or not of, of the lgbt community absolutely and i love that uh, the, the opening of this number is like him opening the door and he's inviting people in i think is it michelle that he's inviting in is like put your coat over here i want to start singing the song it's sort of like and then all of a sudden there's like a choir and then there's a choir <laughs> right <laughs> But sort of like, you know, gay people. So gay people, and I use gay people, LGBT people don't always have the most positive sort of family experiences. And a holiday can be a time where we might be reminded of that. Absolutely. You know, things don't always work out the way that they worked out for you and I. You know, so a lot of people have had to create their own family. Make their own family. Yeah. I forget who the famous um, person is. Oh, I should know this. I'm going to hate that I don't know this. But there is that... Um, there's that famous saying around, um, you know, you, you have your biological family, then you have your logical family. It's true. Anyway. It's true. Well, and you can tell that Rue has a really, really strong logical family. Yes. And Michelle is absolutely at like right on his right hand side yeah. in terms of them like really bouncing off each other and knowing each other. And again, you feel like you're in the room with mm-hmm. them, which is so much fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then those interjections that you were talking about harken back to like the call and response of his first hit, Supermodel. And and I want to know if you remember the song. Do you remember? his rendition of Santa Baby. Of course. Where he, he played Cornisha. Do you remember Cornisha? Yes, yes. Okay, so that's from like the RuPaul show days. Yes. Where I used to love that show and I used to love when he would come out as Cornisha with his tooth blacked uh-huh. out and like the black wig and I'm like, I've been wanting her to come back. I feel like, especially with his recent explosion that he's had where he's everywhere now, it's like, yeah. why? Bring back Cornisha. Oh my God, with the girl I thought you knew. I know. You know, the, the, the terrible big gigantic headband and like the, oh man, I loved Cornisha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I miss her. Yeah, he's sort of in just one sort of mode right now, it feels like. It's true. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny that you're it's funny that you talk about RuPaul because you also have I've noticed that you also have another song on your list with a woman that reminds me of RuPaul. Who's Can that? you guess who I'm talking about? Oh my god. Miss uh, Vanessa Williams. <gasps> oh my gosh. So the one I have on here um is uh, <laughs> randomly um Vanessa Williams doing Do You Hear What I Hear? Slash the little drum. Some light. 
So this track was from Starbright. Now I don't know. I think what would happen when I was a kid was because I've always loved Christmas. Is um, I would go to Sam Goody, and I think at Christmas time they would like pull out all you know they'd feature the new ones, and there'd be some you know bin with all the holiday music, and I would always shuffle through that. But at, at whatever moment, somehow the Starbright CD entered my universe, um, <laughs> and I didn't really even like I didn't know the Vanessa Williams scandal. I didn't like. I just knew there was an angelic, beautiful figure on the cover, and it had, like, stars on it, and she sounded gorgeous. And I played the hell out of that CD. Um, but this, I think, was the first track on the on the album. I could be wrong about that. But it ended up becoming a hugely um, successful uh, album for Vanessa. It was nominated for a Grammy, and um, it sold, I think, like, over 500,000 copies, and um and I think this song actually became the most played holiday record of 1996. Oh, wow. Yeah. So apparently my tastes were um, right mainstream. <laughs> Go to hell, Brandon. Conventional. <laughs> wah, wah. Um, but it's a really beautiful song. You know, Vanessa is another one of those. I think she's actually hitting her moment now. It's kind of nice to see, like, how her acting career has been rounded out. She finally got that apology from the Miss America folks this year um, for having to, you know, uh, uh What's the word? Defrock. Resign. Yeah, Yeah, defrock. (laughs) Um, Step down. Um, No, and I feel like she's... Coco Montrese moment. Coco Montrese. But she... (laughs) she, Or should um, I say Alyssa Edwards moment? Right. That makes more sense. Coco got to rise with Alyssa Edwards, you know, demise. Um, Anywho... But Vanessa, I feel like, is finally sort of being respected for, you know, everything that she brings to the table. But she's a phenomenal singer. And around this year as well, around the time this came out, she had a TV special associated with the Starbright album that was just gorgeous. I mean, the the gowns and the sort of smoothness of her voice, heaven. It's really funny. It's, like, so funny that there's such a, like, Vanessa Williams and RuPaul occupy the same space in my mind. Like, they're almost, like, interchangeable visual beings for me. Well, like, I feel like Rue channels her. Definitely well, I think, channels and, and her. I think Rue is trying to be, the, like, the, the counterpoint to Vanessa. Like, giving everyone a Vanessa image. Yeah. And then, and then you know, inserting little... The crazy bleached hair. And well, the yeah. hot pink dress. And, yeah. And provoking a little. Yeah. Using it to provoke. He's a huge fan of her. Yeah. I remember reading his blog back in the day that he was he was going on a scavenger hunt looking for the Running Back to You maxi single with this remix that that he was trying to find and I just at that moment I totally related to RuPaul like that's totally who I am like I want that freaking remix from 1992 and I'm going to find it. Um but yeah, like a huge Vanessa Williams fan I am. I I do love like what you were saying about how her story, it's interesting how she gets the last laugh. It starts with this sort of like on a bad note with like sort of she's defrocked as I said you know of her Miss America um, you know her title but then goes on to pop success and and actually winds up getting marketed as a rather wholesome and kind of adult contemporary artist completely which like there's nothing scandalous about it which is so funny so as I'm listening to this song I'm imagining the Vanessa Williams Christmas party can I just like lay it out for you like this song gives me like holiday party but it's not just any holiday party it's like the exclusive elite, like Vanessa Williams, like early 90s, late 80s. We're all wearing camel and we're all wearing like black turtlenecks. And the house is like a 
mansion and it's exquisite and nothing you know the cream of society is there and we're we're eating the you know, the most amazing gourmet foods and the there's a large cream of society the cream of society <laughs> and there's and everything is vertical blinds oh everything. my god speaking of which well wait my own Vanessa Williams party that was going on in my house we did have vertical blinds <laughs> but imagine Brendan in little um, tight sweatpants and like a tank top choreographing improv to this song <laughs> that was my Christmas every year <laughs> well speaking of dancing yeah and speaking of the holidays yeah one of my one of my top picks is from The Nutcracker. Tchaikovsky's The Nutcracker. Uh, I've heard of it. (laughs) You've heard of it. We're giving the children culture this evening. My track is The Arabian Coffee Dance. Like I said, it's by Pyotr Ilyich Tchaikovsky from the Nutcracker Ballet. How many times have you tried to practice that? I, I, this is the first time <laughs> I've actually said those three words out loud in that consecutive order. So I don't know. Like, you, you know, you can rate me. Keep going. Um, so I guess it was written in 19... 19- uh, it was written in 1892, but it didn't receive – this ballet didn't receive large popularity until about the mid-50s when Balanchine created um, his ballet work to it. And since Which is inspired. Inspired generations. It's a holiday tradition. And basically every major ballet company uh, generates approximately 40 percent of their annual revenues oh. from performances of the the Nutcracker Ballet. You better give me a statistic. I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you a statistic. <laughs> We're going to lay it out on the Let table. Let me tell you what. Every Dolly Dinkle Ballet Studio also earns their <laughs> right. proceeds well, from the Nutcracker. And I had one, a really significant significant moment, like I said at the beginning of the show, working with the children dancing to the Nutcracker Ballet. But whereas I was always, I was actually done the Russian dance like several times. They need somebody that can do toe touches and kicks and backflips. You weren't the Snow Queen or the I Sugar Plum Fairy. I wasn't the Snow Queen and I wasn't the Arabian coffee dancer that gets offered up. So at this point, the prince and Clara have traveled back to the land of sweets and they've defeated the Mouse King. And these are the gifts that are being offered. Um, you know, the, it's it's basically like a, a divertissement. And for those people that don't know, that's like the, the parts of ballets where they sort of divert from the normal plot and bring in a little bit of a comic element or something, a flowery sort of aside, a B-plot. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so they they present you know the tea and candy canes and Arabian coffee. So this is occasionally it'll be a soloist of sort of exotic you know exotic movements, or it'll be a beautiful a pas de deux where uh, there's interesting lifts and um, and I've actually seen it as a quartet where it's a pas de deux with. Uh, a person on either side and the the girl gets passed along mm. and there's so many I think it's um it was the Moscow ballet that I saw an amazing duet with all kinds of contortionist elements to it it's usually arabic but it's so it's it's slow it's haunting um it, it's it and it evokes the part of Christmas and the season that I connect to, which is the sort of ethereal element to it this otherworldliness which goes back to my sort of pseudo catholic 
raising, which you talk about as well, yeah. Irish Catholic. My my the the Catholic side of my family is actually French. I don't know I don't know anything about French Catholicism or, or whatever, but it doesn't it doesn't matter. It's neither here nor there. But we were raised with a sort of like a fear of God and innate spirituality, a mysticism about the time having to do with the birth of the Savior and yada yada yada. So it's a time when we're contemplating our um our mortality. It's a time where we're thinking about miracles and the, and the, the spiritual power that we all have. And so this is sort of that mysterious sort of like glow on the snow of the ground yeah. type of instrumental musical track Absolutely. that evokes the season for me. I don't know how you feel about well, it. Well, I think I think you're spot on as far as the um, the way this music has really now defines and, and captures the season. I think I'm a bad dancer because I got to be honest. I first of all because I sort of grew up in you know my dance training. Was was, um, you know, modern jazz and, you know, and, and not the sort of typical studio culture. Um, I didn't, I wasn't in, like, Nutcrackers as a little kid. And for some reason, although I've certainly seen it several times, I just – it's never – as much as I love the holidays for some reason, Nutcracker is never an emotional touchstone for me. Um, but I completely agree with you around the the way that um, the music that, uh, you know, was uh, – it was ethereal. Listen, for me, I'm I'm not trying to say that for me the the Nutcracker is an emotional touchstone because really, <laughs> no. I mean, let's let's be real. I mean, like I could give. Well, it's a, okay a crack, if it was, but I think it's the it's the music in this section that evokes Christmas for me. The the mystery of the music yeah. in this section it yeah. doesn't necessarily make me emotional, but right. it definitely uh, sort of clicks me into that sort of spiritual ethereal like being that I have inside myself. Absolutely, I think that spiritual. Um, that 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 mysterious component is um, is certainly a part of it. That miracle that you're speaking of, and mm-hmm. there there is such a history with this holiday, obviously, and even the way it's like blended together with you know pagan traditions and then other you know world religions that all have similar winter uh, festivals or celebrations that have sort of converged around you know what we in the West you know typically celebrate Christmas. Um, uh, even and I say that even if you're not you know, technically Christian because so many of my, you know, friends who are either non-practicing anything or who may be, you know, Jewish or of other faiths, um, a lot of them still celebrate Christmas or long to. I mean, I can't tell you how many times my, my friends who didn't grow up with Christmas um, decorate their apartments. I mean, <laughs> totally, totally. <laughs> and, and you know why? Because it's not really about, it, it's really about the season and, and that magic miracle that we're talking about um, and that connecting point. One thing um can I do something about the history too? So I think this is really interesting. Um, I wasn't as familiar with this before, but um, this is a little bit of a random one. But uh, there's this old Latin carol called Gaudete and um, Erasure, one of my favorites that we've talked about before, put out a winter album called Snow Globe. And this was the lead single, Gaudete. Holy crap, that's what I thought when I heard this. I was like, what is this? <laughs> well, I know. It's 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 kind of interesting. So, you know, it's thought to have been composed in the 16th century. Um, but, you know, who knows? 
Um, <laughs> that was that was my research on Wikipedia. <laughs> that was that's which the is summary. like the Bible, the I Bible know. for back on track. Let's it's face true. It. I think for everyone. Let's be real. Um, no, but what's really interesting about this is so Erasure, you know, decided to do their take on a holiday album. They didn't want to do any of the conventional Christmas tunes that they feel like have been covered a million times, and they wanted to specifically take on a darker. Um, look at the holiday season, a sadder look, a bleaker look. There's even a song I think called The Bleak Winter or something like that. Um, so it's 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 some covers, but a lot of original music as well. Gaudete is obviously an old carol, but what's interesting about it is um, this sort of version was inspired by um, an electric folk group called Steel Eye Span that actually did this in the 70s in the UK. It was a smash on top of the pops. It was a whole thing. Um, and I think it's one of the few acapella, it was on acapella, I think, with some other you know, uh, sort of electro- electronic stuff going on. Um, but so this is sort of Erasure's take on that. So it's not, you know, completely original to them. But there's something that's really uh, not obvious about it being a holiday tune. Um, but it's I love the mix of the modernity with that with that classic Latin, you know, chanting. Totally. Well, like, yeah, when I heard this, I was like, okay, this is like the German porn Robert Mapplethorpe, Tom Finland lover, <laughs> Christmas dungeon theme music. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, and, and it's celebratory, but it's still... Like you mentioned, it bears the weight and the seriousness, almost like connected of like the difficulty that the gays had. The gays. I use the gays generally. <laughs> the gays. The gays. I love the gays. Going through the 80s and 90s, like that experience that we had with the difficulty with AIDS and, and the, you know, the social, you know, like the exclusion that we experienced because of the stigma of that. And I feel that in this track. And I don't know if that was necessary. I mean, not necessary, but um, intent. Like, if, But that's always a little bit of what I get when I listen to like bands like Erasure. Yeah. You know? Well, that's the sense of time and place they're in, and that's um, that's certainly a part of what's inspired their work. And um, But again, that, that sort of that, – that melding of um, something so historical with, uh, with, with, with fun um, electronic music is, is just great. Yeah. Um, all right. I, for one of my final ones, I, want, yeah. I wanted a, a little bit of a nod to – another nod to my family and singing with my family – um, and also another tradition of, like I said, experiencing things on TV and the movies. The Muppets. Do you remember the Muppets? Uh, I mean, do yeah. I remember the Muppets? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, they're they're experiencing a resurgence, but they went through a period of, of rather quietness. Yeah. I want to say, um, but they recently did the thing with Lady Gaga, the Lady Gaga and the Muppets holiday special. But the holiday special that I had when we were a ki- when we were kids was. Um, the Muppet Christmas Carol. Yes. So the song that I want to talk about is called Bless Us All. Bless us all with playful years, with noisy games and joyful tears. We reach for you and we stand tall. And in our prayers and dreams we ask you bless us all. I'm sure you have absolutely no information on this track whatsoever, um, so you probably don't have a lot to say about it. But for me, it was a significant song. It's it's um, first of all, Muppet Christmas Carol is the 1843 Charles Dickens um, novel brought to life at, on the screen. Yeah, it was two years after the death of Jim Henson. His son Brian took over uh, production and direction, so he's making a piece of art in sort of honor. It was dedicated to his father. It featured Michael. Kane as uh, Ebenezer Scrooge, who before that time I had no idea who Michael Kane was. Sure, I mean, 
Um, Only one of the best actors in Britain. Absolutely. <laughs> Even now, it's sort of like him, watching him appear as Austin Powers' dad. You know what I mean? It's sort of like <laughs> we have these weird ideas of Michael Michael Caine, but like that is how I first was introduced to him. Sure. And the, in the movie, this song was sung by – okay, the actor's name is Jerry Nelson as Robin the Frog as Tiny Tim Cratchit. So it's a little uh, it's a little green puppet who's Tiny Tim who if we all know the story of a Christmas Carol Carol he dies tragically and he's like he's coughing but he's the one that the, the Cratchits are like a humble family yeah. and they're reminded working family. yeah he's he's the sort of vehicle to remind everybody that Christmas is all is about sitting with the ones that you love and taking stock of you know all of the blessings that you have, and they're not necessarily material things. Um, it's about the love that you share with the people that are sitting around the table with you. It's so it's it's such a kids movie song, uh, but I wanted to include it because my sister. It was the very first song that my sister sang when she started doing. She started doing these little beauty pageant like sort of vocal talent competitions. Sure, and she's since grown into a gorgeous. A musician, adult musician, um, but it was it was so precious to see her walk out as like a six year old kid, you know, or however old I can't remember she was at the time. She was born in eighty eighty five, so um, so she was like seven years old sure. when she went out on stage singing this song, you know, with braids in her hair, oh. um, and it was just the most precious thing that I could. <clears throat> As my voice cracks, the most precious thing that I could that I could think of, and, and going back to like Christmas in the movies and, and things like that, the Muppets and like enjoying the silliness and the tradition of being with them on the holidays. You know, I, we had a, like a little uh, Miss Piggy in a Santa hat. You know what I mean? Like from McDonald's. That yeah, we have. you know course. what I mean. Like no, that they were everywhere. I remember yeah. that movie so well. It was yeah. fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> um, can I do a couple quick hits? Go. So one thing I want to talk about is um, you know how home is such a part of you know holiday music. This idea of home and this idea of place. Um, and so so many of the songs that I think about you know have to do with sort of uh, shout outs to your home and, and and this sort of calling back to that. So I want to talk about a few of them real quick. That and I, the first one that meant a lot to me was Christmas in Dixie by Alabama. And in Atlanta, Georgia There's peace on earth tonight Christmas in Dixie So Christmas in Dixie um, is, you know, this great song that basically uh, calls out these northern cities, uh, where whether it's like New York or Detroit, and is basically saying, you know, you know, they don't have what we have here in the South. So it's a little bit of like this, you know, uh, it, it's a sweet song, but yeah, it's a little <laughs> bit, you know, territorial. But um, that Alabama sound for me is so reminiscent of um, my mother and growing up, um, you know, in our in our home for the holidays, and that 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 CD was just. Um, played constantly and there's something about the the community the sense of community that oftentimes um, exists in the south I know that that's layered with a lot of other stuff mm-hmm. um, so sometimes you know there's some other things going on there but there is this like sense of coming together in community um, and 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 that heartland mentality that feels really appropriate for the season. Um, and then, so in a similar, we have Christmas in Dixie. Then my family, we moved to the D.C. area when I was little. And the song that just, you know, changed my life, and it is really uh, a mess of a song, is called Christmas Eve in Washington by Maura Sullivan. 
Mr. Jefferson standing the mid-watch And there's a star or the Capitol Dome It's Christmas Eve in Washington America's hometown It's here that freedom lives And peace can stand her ground so for the Christmas season, WMZQ wanted to have a holiday track, and I think it was you know early, early 80s, and Morris Sullivan was on morning radio there, and basically they decided to you know write uh, write a, write a holiday song just for uh, you know WMZQ, and it was basically just again name checking things around DC, um, chimney smoking in Georgetown, hush over the Chesapeake Bay, um, and it, it's just calling out all of these sites. But as a kid, you know, I remember driving every you know. Christmas Eve, we would be downtown in D.C. and you'd see the Capitol and you'd see all these places. And I remember listening to it on the radio and seeing the Christmas trees and seeing all of these places come to life and, and feeling a part of something. Again, I think so much of the community and familial uh, spirit of this holiday is about connection and feeling part of something. And so – uh, that that was just such a special song for me, and I still to this day, um, like a little kid, play it every Christmas Eve um, when I'm in D.C. with my family. And then on a funnier note, the other one that is totally hilarious, and I moved, you know, I traveled all around and then moved to New York, and there's this great song by the one and only my favorites, the Pointer Sisters, called Christmas in New York. a newer song it came out in 2004 I think or 2005 2005 when Issa who was the sister that I met on um, the cruise ship mm-hmm. um, when she joined the Pointer Sisters officially she's Ruth's daughter I think anyway doesn't matter um, they this is the only single they ever put out was a random holiday song with a you know whatever record label. Um, But again, it's so cheesy. It's completely Pointer Sisters. And again, it's name-checking, walking down Fifth Avenue, doing all the things in New York. And it's got, you know, it came out in 2005, but it sounds like 1982. That's hilarious. Brendan, when I was was looking at these tracks, I had no, it didn't, again, it always goes over Vicky's head. I, like, didn't make the connection. I'm like, what's with all these Christmases and all these different places? You know what I mean? And and then I was like, oh, okay, as you're describing, I'm like, oh, I see where he's going with that. And so, yeah, I have to say Alabama, and you had it connected to your mom. My mom also listened to Alabama a lot. Oh, yeah? I grew up listening to Alabama's greatest hits. So all of those songs, like My Home's in Alabama, you know, um, oh, my God, uh, just just so many, uh, She and I, all all of those songs, um, uh, 40 Hour Week for a Living, do you remember that? Oh, my gosh. Um, Yeah, so all of those. Wait, that song was in my um, Hershey Park show. Yeah, when you were on stage, (laughs) I remember that. I remember coming and sitting in the audience and and, and rooting you on for that. Um, and then, okay, so then moving on, uh, Christmas in, in D.C., is that what it's called? It's called Christmas Eve in Washington. Christmas Eve in Washington. I remember listening to that with a, a, a little bit of a raised eyebrow, and, <laughs> you know, imagining that the, that the current administration could come together on anything, especially like a, a holiday as sort of like steeped in like emotion and and controversy, let's face it, the, these days as, as Christmas, you know. So I was like, you know, imagining <laughs> yeah. everybody uniting under that song. And it made me chuckle a little bit. But it was – it's that was a super cute, cute track as I was listening to it. I mean it's, it's, it's really not cute. great. I thought it was okay. 
And then Christmas in New York with the Pointer Sisters. And I was like, here we go. Brandon and his Pointer Sisters. Um, <laughs> you actually, you introduced me to them great, like, largely. And I have to say, I, I can't wait to get a mixtape from you of their stuff okay. that you love. I can it's make that happen. Typical Pointer Sisters. And also uh, another song that, that, that played like a, a typical, like, 1980s, early 90s Christmas special montage. People are shopping. Everybody's yeah. getting makeovers. You know, and it's got those musical hits and the synthesizers, you know, um, sleigh bells as percussion, you know, like the, the, the and the strong voices of those women. Although no shade, but this is a little shady, but uh, <laughs> always good for some shade. Um, I, I do love them, but this did come out in 2005 and let's be real, their voices aren't what they were. And there is this moment in the song at the bridge where they go through, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, a moment where they're, you know, they, they, they take it up and um, it's, a, it's a little breathy. It's a little, little breathy. <laughs> well, oh, well. Oh, well. <laughs> what are you going to do? So, you know, because it's, because it's the holiday season, I'm feeling festive. I want to just do like one or two more. Can we do that? Mm-hmm, absolutely. Do you have one that you want to throw out? Should I go? Um, I want to talk about the Chipmunk song. Oh, my God. <laughs> So this is for me. This is what it all boils down to: the quintessential. Is it? Yeah, it totally is. This is totally a nostalgic moment. I'm sorry. Don't um, be sorry. This is the song that we, you know, we had the record. Uh, you know, the Chipmunks Christmas, uh, Christmas with the Chipmunks. Um, we played this record every time we were setting up our artificial tree. <laughs> we never got a real tree, but it was a tradition to bring it down yeah. from the attic and set that yep. damn thing up with the color tabbed, you know, those wire things that you'd stick oh in my the gosh. metal rod that would prick you. Uh, we had the artificial <laughs> one, too, because my brother allegedly was allergic, um, <laughs> which I allegedly. It's a good um, excuse not to have to do that damn shopping thing. Yeah, but you know what then you have there. to do with the artificial? You have to try and, like, do all the – pull all the branches apart to fluff it out, mm-hmm. and that was, like, the worst. You're either fluffing branches or you're vacuuming crap <laughs> off the floor. I'll fluff a branch. Oh, girl. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, back to the track, getting back on track. Yeah. 1958 is when Ross uh, Bagdasarian Sr., a.k.a. David Seville, um, sung these voices in high pitch as the chipmunks. Why did this happen? I don't. I have no idea. It was. I've the, always. I mean, I have nostalgia around it too. I mean, I obviously am as familiar as you are with mm-hmm. it. It was everywhere, but I, it was always a confusing. Um, uh, not just the holidays, but just the whole Alvin Chipmunks thing was so strange. To I me. have no idea. Keep going. Well, and the funny thing is, is that this was a one-off. This was, you know, it was their first and. Only number one single earned them. And I'm not even joking. It earned three Grammys. Um, but they didn't. They didn't. The whole Christmas with the Chipmunks thing wasn't really fully put together until 1961. So it was several several years later. Um, I'm guessing assembled because of the success of the song. Um, but my mother, if, just to put it in perspective, was four years old when this album came out. That's amazing. So it was like sort of passing down a family tradition yeah. uh, of, of trimming the tree to this song and sort of like enjoying the light of the, you know, we had, we did the multicolor lights on the tree and we had a, a ragtag tree, not one of these sort of designer trees where they're all, you know, elegantly sort of like pre-thought out and picked out with all matching ornaments. 
ornaments. Yeah. Our ornaments were all the hell over the place. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And Well, that um, was sort of the thing when we were little. I mean, I remember, like, our ornaments were the same way, and you'd, you'd get new ones each year. I remember going, and, you know, sometimes we'd go to the store, and I got to pick out an ornament, and that was so exciting. But, you know, my dad was a nerd. We had Star Trek ornaments. We had all <laughs> sorts of craziness. Yeah, yeah. And we, my sister and I used to have a big red beanbag chair that we would pretend was Santa's, like, sack, you know, like, that he carried his presents in. And you could actually unzip it, and there was, like, all those little pieces of white styrofoam inside, but we would wrap up stupid things like books and things like that that we already owned and pretend oh, that we were giving each other presents. I love that. And we would replay the magic of Christmas morning over and over and over again. Like, That's listen, really cute. With this, with this record on, you know, like... Wait, was Lay it really down on the vinyl? Cool. Yeah, it was on vinyl. We had a record player. Oh, that's great. So, you know, you hear the, the oh, scratches and it was like, so close your eyes, you know, and go and go to sleep or, you're, you know, Santa's not going to bring your presents. And then we would try to do it quietly while the other one was sleeping and set it up and, you know, and then freak out and then open it and then do it like again and again. Like, how kids God, is that? That's you know? amazing. That's, but you know what? That, that's what the holiday's about. I mean, I've had so many um, – lively discussions with people about, you know, who are critical of the um of of the holiday from a from a materialistic perspective. And I I agree that that's not what it's about, but what you're talking about and the sort of silly happiness and the joy that it brings people, it's about the joy. And if, like, that's just a vehicle. It's not about the things. It's about that reaction you're talking about and that fun, totally. I think. Totally. Um, you want to close this out? Well... I do want to close this out. I kind of want to sneak in one that we don't really have to talk about too much, but I would be um, sad if it wasn't on our list, which is um, it wasn't even really supposed to be necessarily a holiday song, but um, Hard Candy Christmas by Dolly This track was written for the best little whorehouse in Texas. It actually occurs near the very end. And um, basically, you know, the plot of that is that this, you know, Texas whorehouse gets shut down. Um, and so all of these women who've been working there have to go on their respective ways. So this is their, you know, saying goodbye to each other and trying to sort out what could be next. And so it's, again, similar um, blend of the things we've been talking about throughout the whole episode around a little bit of despair, melancholy meshed with a little bit of hope for what could be next. Um, and there's um, just something so um, simple and and clean and, and, and beautiful about it. Again, it sort of connects to that longing. Um, but Dolly Parton was in the movie version, and so then she put it out as a single herself. Um, and it reached number eight on the country singles chart in 1982. And it's sort of become a, you know, a, a Christmas classic, even though it's not specifically a holiday song. And um, it was on a Bob Hope special. And then, of course, um, you know, linking back to RuPaul earlier, there's a great version of it on Ho Ho Ho, um, <laughs> where again it's Michelle Visage and a couple other people, um, each taking turns with the verses, and it's really irreverent and kind of fun. Um, so, did you do you like this song? Yeah, I mean, you know, to be honest, I remembered it from the Best Little Whorehouse movie, which I had just seen recently, and I liked hearing Dolly sing the whole thing herself. Yeah, it was really super great. And then also, there's a thing I want to say about Dolly. There's a slight vibrato and like a trill to her voice. Oh yeah, that always makes her sound like she's on the verge of of bursting into tears. That 
sentiment right there, like the 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 line, the point where we where we almost get to to, to completely letting go, is such like a beautiful spot to like to write from, to resonate from, to have you know to have stuff pour out from. Oh yeah. And so that's it lends itself so well to the type of music and the type of stories that Dolly like tells us. And even in this song specifically, you're hearing that exact um, you know. You're hearing that exact quality that you're speaking about. Mm-hmm. And then lyrically, she's saying, you know, I'll be fine and dandy. Yeah. Um, God, there's and the, something Oh, so. my gosh. The, <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, the, the, the sort of counterpoint of those lyrics with, um, with the quality of her voice and, and then sort of the, the sadness of the song is um, just – it's beautiful. Totally, totally. So I do think it's, I do think it's time that we should we should wind down. And I wanted to save this for last. I think it was on both of our lists. Mm-hmm. Um, but we need to close out with the uh, really the one and only uh, Darling Love Christmas, Christmas Baby. Please come home. By, it was written by the amazing Ellie Greenwich and Jeff Barry, along with Phil Spector. It was originally intended for Ronnie Spector of the Ronettes, who was Phil Spector's wife, but it went to Darlene sort of under the understanding that she couldn't really deliver the pack, you know, the pack, the uh, the vocal punch, the punch, yeah, the punch, darling, the holiday punch. So, <laughs> so yeah, so and the rest is really history. I mean, it really is. This has become you know a, a real, real, real classic for you know everyone. Um, and Darlene Love really gets all the credit for this because the song, you know, I don't know if you've heard other versions, and we'll talk about that in a second. But um, you know, it, it's a good song, but it does require that kind of exuberance and passion, and you can hear versions of it where that's not there, and it's. It is a little bit lacking, but when you have the when you have the the weight of you know a really really strong vocal talent, um, it, it it strikes a chord. And Darlene Love really got her due, and she is um, a real force. I think if people don't know about her, they should look her up, and you should check out Twenty Feet from Stardom, which is an amazing documentary about backup singers, and it it follows Darlene Love quite a bit. You can really appreciate the the place she has in American music history because it's intense and huge and amazing. Um, Can I just say the first time that I was introduced to the song, it was when I was in the musical, The Leader of the Pack, which is the Ellie Greenwich musical. It, and it really does, it does Darlene a lot of justice. The, it's the tale of how Ellie got started and how she hooked up with Phil Spector and like, you know, all the relationships and everything. And, and um, Darlene is heavily featured in this musical. And as a matter of fact, she started as she starred as herself on the Broadway debut for it, um, which was back in 1984. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had first heard this when I was in in a in a local play, you know, like a community theater version of it. Yeah. But like also that we got this really amazing girl from Springfield who played Darlene Love in the musical and killed it. I mean oh my absolutely gosh. killed it. And I was like, what is this song? You know what I mean? And come now come to find out it's been on Letterman literally every single every year, year. Except for I think there was like nine uh, oh seven the writer's strike, which yep. they replayed the last year. Yeah. And then also of note about the the David Letterman stuff is every single year there's the sax solo and they come up with a new way of bringing the sax guy out to be able to do that like legendary sax solo. Yeah. yeah. I mean that's a that's such a, a piece of you know 
pop um, Americana. Americana in in history. Yeah, it's kind of sad that now Dave's gone. I mean, you know, from TV, from TV, yeah, and. Uh, I guess that that moment's passed. <laughs> yeah. Well, on to new, bigger, and better moments. And, you know, one of the most famous covers, that, as you were talking about, of, yeah. of this song is the Mariah Carey version from Merry Christmas. Yes. And you know what? 90s. Because of, you know, because of my age, I think the first version I heard was the Mariah was Carey the Mariah version. version. Yeah. yeah. So it was a delight to find out that it was actually a Darling Love song um, when I was, you know, a teen or whatnot. Well, that being said, you and I are about to strap, you know, strap ourselves in and go... Oh. Oh my round God. two with Miss Carrie at the Beacon Theater and a little bit of foreshadowing. We've got a Mariah episode on deck that is going to knock your socks You off. are going to hear all about our reactions to this concert and then really a full-on take on what we love about Ms. Carrie. We're going to lay We're going to emancipate Mimi. <laughs> <laughs> Let Everybody, her free. Bring your charm bracelets. Bring your charm bracelets. <laughs> oh my God. We're going to have a daydream a fantasy. This has been really fun, be a vision of love. If you like our show, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever podcasts are hot. And if you really like our show, we'd love a rating and a review. You can find us on Twitter at Back on Track Show, as well as Facebook, Instagram, and all of your favorite ways of time. <laughs> we love to hear from you. Don't forget to follow us on Spotify and check out all of our Mixtape playlists. And if you're outraged that your favorite track didn't make the list, visit us at www.backontrackshow.com and let us have it. You know, we'll tell you what we think, honey. All right, we're done. Peace.